what's happening guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome hope you're having a great week coming up on today's show i will give you my official prediction for saturday's bantamweight fight between rob font and jose aldo dan hooker has made some interesting comments and i'll also talk about john jones's latest twitter tirade all of that later in the show but let's begin with this There is a very misinterpreted clip going on right now. It's of something, quite frankly, that you never should have seen. It's something that I don't, it never should have been revealed. But it was what Colby Covington said to Kamar Usman the second the final bell, the fifth and final bell went off. And Colby said some very beautiful things to Usman. He said, I respect you, something along the lines I respect you, I like you, I did this for us. And many people are misinterpreting that to believe that Colby dropped the act or removed the fourth curtain, and this is who he really is. It's all in line. Colby lives by a code. Colby's an honest guy. He works his acts off. He sacrifices. He sets big goals, and he takes risks. He's also a sportsman. Colby didn't know he had lost the fight. He wasn't acknowledging anything to Kamar Usman in that moment. He was acknowledging what got them there. And you want to talk about what Colby said? A lot of people are thinking, you know, this drops everything. And he was just out there trying to be a salesman. And, you know, we need to keep our eye on that. So when he does it next time, that's not what happened. You can listen to the language, which, quite frankly, you never should have been privy to. You never should have got to have heard that. And that never should have come out. You can listen to the language or you can look at the body language. Because the body language and the straight face and the eye contact by Colby was not that of somebody that just lost a fight. He did not know which way that decision was going to go. And in that specific moment, after you go out and you do that kind of battle, Kamara was a little different. Kamara spoke to it. He said, man, there's a camaraderie. I I respect that guy. He is tough as hell. We probably aren't going to get along, but I respect him and he's tough and he's going to have a great career. Right? Kamara said some very beautiful things. But Colby at no point made a concession. He did not know how that match was going to go. His language, what you do say after you battle somebody. You're human beings. We're living in a society here. You don't just walk around like barbarians all the time. But his body language was very much in line with chaos. The words were Colby. Sure they were. The body language was chaos. He stayed in character. He did not break kayfabe. He did everything right. I don't think you guys should have should have heard it. I don't think that helps with anything. I don't think that helps to sell or draw or market anything. But that's my own opinion. Some of the rest of you found that to be very interesting. And words do matter. I think that's why I'm speaking to this. Words do matter. There were several comments made when you heard this clip that was private between two guys that never should have been picked up and released, that was, that would diminish Colby's ability to go to the media, do a manipulation, and stir up some interest for a rematch. I don't agree with that. I think it's very in line. Colby did not know what the judges had thought at that point. Colby thought they were going to raise his hand, potentially. He thought Usman did a great job. Colby said that he respects him. He does respect him. Colby doesn't go in there and fight guys he doesn't respect. He's not a bully. I don't know if Colby's ever had a fight that he knew he was going to win. He knew full well in every battle he's ever had that he could lose. That's what the respect is. I don't know that I agree that you saw something that went against the character of chaos. I, I don't know that I saw that. There was some words that might have surprised you, and some of you found it refreshing, but there was another language being spoken, which was that of body language, was a very alpha position by Colby. Colby reached trying to hug him, trying to kiss him on the cheek, 
trying to get on a knee and shake. He didn't do any of that stuff. He said, I respect you and I brought us here. It was a good fight. But go get that belt because they might be handing it to me in just a moment. I mean, that, that's, that's what I saw. So speaking of Colby versus Usman at 268, who could forget Chandler's legendary fight with Gaethje? I certainly haven't. And even though Chandler lost, I've only gained more respect for him since then. And I want to tell you why. Michael Chandler got a little, little something going right now with Conor McGregor. If you got that going, you got to keep it. And the one thing that you must have when you make a call out is a response. You must have a response. The response can be no. If nothing is said, right? The opposite of love is not hate. Contrary to popular belief, and if you've ever been in a relationship, you will know. If that girl hates you, you still got a chance. The opposites of love is indifference. When it makes absolutely no difference to her if you call or if you don't, that's when you're done and you're going to have to move on. So you got to get this response. Very important. Chandler did. And Chandler not only got a response, he got a yes. Conor McGregor told him, yes, I will do the fight. Conor bought himself some time, he said down the road, but he said yes. So Chandler went with that. And Chandler is being very respectful of Conor. It's a very different approach. Whether it works or it doesn't work, he's at least trying something new. Chandler has, has even so much as defended Conor in the last 96 hours. Okay, that's something new. Good for Chandler. Let's see where that goes. But I will share for you, you got to get that response. And I found myself in some jams every now and then where I couldn't get anywhere. They were blow I was beneath them. I was beneath them and I was calling guys out. I was doing trash talk before anybody was doing, but I was only going after guys. They were top guys. The absolute top guy just trying to get a response. And one thing that I found over time, if I ever, if my back was against the wall and I was out of bullets, I could always turn to a lie. There was something about a lie that the other side was so compelled to set straight, no matter what it was. I'll be silly right now. I saw a guy have a ham sandwich, but I told the world it was tuna fish. Well, he didn't see my plate very well. By God, that was a, that was a ham sandwich and I had some Swiss cheese. I mean, it, was one, it was kind of these things. Where if you said anything, but it wasn't quite what happened, I just felt I always got a response. And that's what I needed. And I would tell the audience, I'm the bad guy. We do two things. We cheat and we lie. So now I had the audience along with me. Whatever the story was, they came along with me, but I would always get that response. And I did it out of an act of desperation. Once I had nothing more where I could get a guy to engage, if I told a lie, I got a response every time. Chandler's in a position. And Chandler's not going to like that. Chandler's a very good guy. He doesn't want anything to do with the, the old way. Uh, Chael did a stick. But I was in Chandler's spot, and I wasn't getting my responses. And Chandler is not. He got one. He got one ever. It was different than Connor usually speaks. There was no insults. There was no foul language. And he told him yes. Very different by Connor. So Chandler then went about the call-outs. And the t very different. All the way down to saying very pleasantries and defending Connor's skills and ability. Which, by the way, are true. Connor's an excellent fighter. Only thing you got proven to in Connor's comeback here is he had a hard time with Dustin Poirier. You didn't get proven that Connor's not a great fighter. He is a great fighter. Chandler spoke to that. Okay, fair game. But I would have told a story a little bit different. I would have had a story to tell. My team's already talked to that team. This fight is done. 
That team told my team, eight months, stand by, don't fight anybody else, that's done. And Connor would have responded to that, trust me. If there was, Connor would have checked his dot, hey, Coach Kavanaugh, hey, Coach Roddy, hey, Audie, did you guys tell Chandler's team, he says that you guys, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where he, and then he would have come out and set the record straight. Something you can turn to when you're in a jam. Something that always got a response, at least for me. Whenever it wasn't going along just exactly as it should. And you can come and say those things. And I had a guy do it to me. I won't tell you who. I had a guy do it to me. And I did exactly what I just told you Connor would do. I went to my, hey, coach, did you tell? No, man, I didn't do Hey, were you at a bar? Did you run into these guys? Because they say that they saw you down at the hotel bar. They say that they picked up the tab and came over and they shook hands with you and made a deal. Like it, There's something about it that works. You start this storytelling. Now, we never, even though I'm telling you that I would lie, I don't think of myself as a liar. Chael's not. You ask Chael something, Chael tells you it'll be straight. But the bad guy, the bad guy was a storyteller. And you have fictional stories and you have non-fiction stories. As long as they get the audience's attention and the audience can stay with you long enough to go to the next chapter and the one after that, you've done your job as a storyteller. I like Chandler's approach. I'm very curious to see because of this experiment. We haven't had this done before. We have never seen a top guy like Michael Chandler go after a top guy like Conor McGregor and do it quite so politely. We haven't seen it. Gilbert Burns is doing a little bit of this. Gilbert Burns is going after Kamara Usman for a rematch, but he's being very nice. So I can't dismiss it. I'm not ready to. I need it to play out. I'm observing it. I'm going to study it. But I would encourage both of those guys, both Chandler and Burns, instead of coming out and asking for something or even arguing as to why it should happen, tell us the story. Because I promise you, you give us the story, we will decide. On the subject of lightweights, a now former lightweight made some comments this week about the division and caught my attention, and I want to share my thoughts with you. All right, you pestering little pricks. I made the t-shirt. All right, I don't want to hear about it. You've asked me to bring the shirt back. I brought the shirt back. Now, the pandemic slowed things down. That was on somebody else's end, in all fairness. They're up and running. I did these for you. I made just enough. So click on the link below. Go get one or zip it. Or zip it. Old Chael did his part. All right. Read a Dan Hooker interview, okay? I know I keep talking about Hooker, but he went in a few different directions in this interview, and I'm a Dan Hooker fan. And Dan Hooker was talking about the most technical and the best grappling athlete at 155. Who do you think he said? I want to give you just a second here. I want you to get your votes in. Who do you think Dan Hooker said? The most technical and the most superior ground fighter at what is now Dan's old weight class of 155 pounds. Let me remind you, Dan Hooker was ranked number five in the world. Had a split decision loss to Poirier. Split decision, meaning one licensed judge thought he beat Poirier. That's how good Dan Hooker is, and that is how good and in-depth he has studied this division. He's now left it, so he's speaking about it. Who do you think he said? I'm pausing. I'm pausing so you can think. Who is the best grappler? 
the most technical fighter at 155? Benny DeRouche was the answer. Benny DeRouche is what Dan Hooker said about his old division where he was in the top tier, right? Top 10 is not a thing as much as you think it is. Five through 10 is a thing. Five to one is their own thing. Dan Hooker was in the top of this division. He has studied it inside and out. He's been in there with everybody. And the guys he hasn't been in, he's watched. Benny DeRouche was his answer. If Dan Hooker is right, if anybody's got the right to an opinion, you just heard from the guy. If he's right, what does that mean about Benny DeRouche versus Islam Makhlchev? Because that is the fight that has been announced that for the hardcores, you guys are loving it. To the masses, they don't even remember that it was announced. And we do have fights like this that go under the radar. That you look back and over time, it's like a fine wine that gets better and better. People are talking about, oh, it'd be a dream fight to have Demetrius Johnson versus Dominic Cruz. That fight happened. Your dream fight happened. Like some of these matches take place and it just, it just gets glossed over. And I feel like as far as the announcement goes, as far as people understanding what's on the line here, this is very meaningful. And I think that one, one reason this goes under, Benny doesn't speak up for Benny. I say more good things about Benny in the course of a week than Benny does in three years. That's okay. That doesn't mean we dismiss a guy like that. And now he's put in a position to have an opportunity. It's the second opportunity he's had. Getting in there with Tony Ferguson was a big opportunity. Getting in there with Islam and being declared by Justin Gaethje. Justin doesn't make the decisions, but he's apparently he's making some of them. Justin's calling that the number one contenders match. Before that fight goes off, Justin's going to be right. Justin started it, so I'm giving him his due. But I'm repeating it. And you guys are thinking it. And other people are going to repeat it. And when the rest of the boys at 155 accept it, it's done. That's where it becomes done. And none of the boys at 155 have spoke up yet to say, hey, Justin, I disagree with that. I think my next match, or I think his next match, or I think this next match, none of the boys have spoken up. And I'm telling you, Justin is going to be right. Benny and Islam are going to take on the winner of Gaethje versus Oliveira or Poirier once that all gets worked out, if everything goes right. I mean, I know there's changes within the sport. And we all think that Islam's going to win. Why is that? Why do we think Islam's going to win? Is it because he's so good, so's Benny? Is it because he's so experienced, so's Benny? Is it because he never gets tied in around, neither does Benny? Is it because he's a great on the ground, so's Benny? Is it because he's beaten so many guys in a row, so is Benny? Why do, why are we just acting like Islam's going to win? We just heard from a guy who used to be in the top tier of the division. He just gave the nod to Benny and he broke it down a little bit further. He said if they get to the ground, this is Hooker, they could cancel each other out. So Hooker is making no concession. In fact, he's refusing the premise that Islam can just take Benny down and control him. That doesn't mean that Hooker's right. Let's say he is. So Hooker went a little further to say if that's the case, they're going to be on their feet and Darush is meaningfully better on his feet, end quote. Well, we don't know that part for sure. We have most definitely seen DeRouge do more damage, land more shots, control space for more time 
Then we've seen Islam. That doesn't mean he's better. This is one of the places where the betters, the handicappers, have to really take this into consideration or they end up getting burned at the window. Just because you haven't seen a guy do something doesn't mean he can't do something. There was a top boxing guy. It might have been Teddy Atlas. This just came out three days ago. A top boxing guy, if I could produce the name for you, that was breaking down the best boxers in MMA. Do you want to know who's on that top five list? Daniel Cormier. When's the last time we've seen Daniel do that? However, Daniel keeps his hands in the right position. He's very hard to hit. He rolls with punches when he is. He's got his chin down. All you see is his beady little eyes, and he's very basic. And when I read that Daniel was a top five boxer in all of MMA, even though that is not what he is known for, it's not what he would say about himself, I don't disagree with it. And you had to have somebody that wasn't lazy, that was more analytical, that watched tape, rinsed it back, watched it again to see those moments. But when's the last time you see Daniel Cormier get his ass kicked on his feet? Because I've only seen it once. I saw it one time. It was called Round 4 against Stipe Miocic Part 2. Do you have something to trump what I just said? And is that also true as it pertains to Benny versus Islam? Because there's a part that I do hope Dan's right about. I hope that Benny doesn't just get thrown down and controlled. As a guy who made a living on throwing people down and controlling them, I don't like that kind of fighting. I need to see, I got to see Islam. I've got to see, I got to see him tested. I got to see some adversity. I got to see some pushback and some resistance. People keep talking about fighting's about the punches and the kicks and the guillotine chokes. It's not. That's called aggression. Fighting is how you deal with adversity. And can you come out the other side? Can you hang in there? Can you deal with the element that nobody speaks about, which is time? Can you keep your focus? Can you recover between rounds? Can you listen to your coach? This is what fighting is. I need to see Islam in a fight. That's just what I want. I want to see Islam in a fight because I am a believer. By the way, if I at all sound negative on Islam, I'm only painting the other side so that you know there is another side. And Benny checks the same boxes that Islam does in many ways. And now you got a former top five guy who's left the division, now he's speaking on it candidly for the first time, he's giving the nod to Darush. That story needs to be out. That is interesting. Dan Hooker said some more things in his interview I just referenced, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But first, a word about today's sponsor. Guys, this holiday season can feel a bit hectic. Juggling work and family obligations, plus with holiday gatherings and Christmas shopping. The days can fly by quickly during this time. The last thing we want to do is figure out what we're going to put on the table for dinner. This is where HelloFresh comes in. They help keep things simple and easy with recipes that cut back on meal prep and cleanup so you can spend less time at the grocery store and in the kitchen and more quality time with friends and family, which is the whole point of the holiday season. HelloFresh meals are ready in about 30 minutes or less. Plus, with their quick and easy meals, 20-minute recipes, and low prep and easy cleanup options, you can get a meal on the table more quick and efficient. You guys already know I love good food. I wouldn't call myself a foodie, but I do appreciate the taste and smell of good cooking. HelloFresh has the balsamic and fig beef tenderloin dish, and it is amazing. Oh, and the pecan crusted salmon, it was so delicious. 
I realized that saving time and money does not mean I have to compromise on taste or quality of my food. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Chael14 and use code Chael14 for up to 14 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash Chael14 and use code Chael14 for 14 free meals and 3 free gifts from HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Dan Hooker, Alex Volkanovsky. I mean, these are two... If there was ever two badasses, these are them and they're in the same room. They're teammates. So Hooker has now invaded the weight class. I thought Hooker was going the other way. Hooker's so tall, he's got such a frame. I thought he's going to be a 70-pounder. He's going down to 45. Now, that's extremely relevant when he's training with the champion of 145. Hooker wants to be the king. He knows right where he stands because he's going with the king every day. It's a very relevant piece to the story that I feel has been left out. The fact that Hooker works out on a daily basis with the sitting champion of a weight class that Hooker moves into and says, I can do just fine down here, he would know. He would know exactly how he's going to do, or at least he would have a better gauge and barometer than anybody else would get. So, of course, they got asked about it. It was it was Volkanovsky who could not have been a cooler guy when he answered it. And Volkanovsky said, look, we're not sitting and game planning for each other. I want what's best for him. He wants best for me. And we're going to continue to be teammates. But if that day comes, it will come. So that was the perfect answer, quite frankly. But it does lead back to a question, would you fight your teammate? And there is some guys, not only would they not do it, if one of the teammates answers that through the media and says, yes, they're no longer teammates. You take Nate Diaz's code, Gilbert Melendez, you, you go with the scrap pack. And one of them <clears throat> breaks bad, even in an interview on the rest of the team, they are out. And they would it's never happened. They would never do it. It's a different code, but that's that team. I don't question that. I respect the hell out of it. I'll personalize it. Would I fight a teammate? Yes, today, right now. Would make absolutely no difference. What where do, where does that come from? Is that because I don't care about my teammates? No, I love them. I think I'm one of the few guys in the sports that really feels that's a team. I was part of Team Quest. When Team Bro- uh, Quest broke up, nobody took it harder than me, but I took it hard because. I didn't think that would ever happen. I thought this was a family. I thought, I mean, I thought this was a group. You're doing a sport that is going to create, as a byproduct, more camaraderie than any other activity you can do. When you're sacrificing together, when you're struggling, when you're going up and down the roads, you're packing into hotel rooms, you're sharing meals because you don't have enough money. But there is a camaraderie that's built here. And when I found out my teammates at Team Quest did not feel that way, it hurt. It hurt me very bad, but I was also surprised because I did feel that way. I would have taken a bullet for any one of those guys. But I would also have fought those guys. I would never stop them in competition. I was going to fight John Jones for the light heavyweight championship. And I was working at Fox with Daniel Cormier. And Cormier said, I really want to be the champion. He said this in front of people. I was one of them. I want to be the champion, but Chael, if you win it, I, 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 I will not. I will not fight you. Wait until your run is over. And I just listened people in the room. And I talked to Daniel after I grabbed him, I pulled him aside. I said, Hey, if we're actually friends, I would never take that opportunity from you. And if you think that you can beat me and have the belt, you need to come in and beat me and take the belt. Cause that's, what's best for the sport. We had this one talk the same way that I didn't say anything. When he made the statement, he said nothing when I made the statement back to him, but I would not have taken that opportunity. If you have the ability to give it to a friend, give it to a friend, right? My own mentality. How did I get this way? Well, it's 18 years old. There's a tournament that kicks off wrestling, and it might be the toughest tournament that we did in the country at the time. It might be harder 
than the U.S. National Championship. It was very respected, but it was called Sunkist. The Sunkist wrestling team put on a tournament, and it was the first one. Not only did every American show up to get matches, we had the Russians coming, we had the Cubans coming, we had a Gali who was the Olympic champion, Nigerian by way of Canada coming. I mean, there were some impressive names. We had Abdu. Abdu came, took on Kale, as a matter of fact. Sunkist was very special. And to get to that tournament, Matt Lindlin, who was my coach, mentor, needed money just to get there. So my father stepped in and handled it. Got Matt a plane ticket, got some money in his hand so you know he could go around and get some food and entry food. My father got him there. So I'm warming up. I'm warming up for the tournament with Matt. We get a partway through the warm-up, and Matt says, you know, I, I saw the bracket. Ah, we keep pummeling. We're in the same weight class. I'm pummeling. I'm pushing. I'm getting warm. We got my sweat going. I'm pulling the head down. He's body locking me. He's stretching me out a little bit. We're doing a warm-up. He says, yeah, I don't think you saw it, did you? No, I didn't see it. I'm doing my warm-up. I'm pushing. I'm pulling. I'm doing all the stuff he said to do. He said, you know, you got a pretty tough first match. Oh, is that right? Well, who do I got? And he just stands there looking at me. I go, I got you, don't I? He goes, yeah, yeah, you got me first. We're up in about 30 minutes. Okay. So I know that Matt can beat me because I go with him every day. Like, this is just a point of logic. I train with him every day and he beats me. Like, this is this tournament's not going to be any different because we're in singlets, but it's still going to be a man. I'm still got to get through it. Even if I'm headed to the backside, I got to go out and, and learn what I can learn in this match. Get myself warm, get myself sharp, get me ready for whatever is next. It's just the reality of the situation. But I also knew that this is going to be close and it's going to be a long match because Matt's going to carry me. Matt's he's going to get four or five points. You know, maybe he lets me get on top and get to my lock, but I'm going to be out here for the duration. I'm going to be out here for all six minutes, because, or what else? How would I not be? He's going to kick my ass when he's my coach and my father got him here? No, of course not. My dad's in the stand watching the whole thing. Of course not. Wrong. He whipped my ass. He was ahead nine to nothing, and he was on top. Now, in wrestling, if he was to get to ten, ten to nothing, they'll stop the match. Think of it like a mercy rule in Little League Baseball. Matt's on top. Now, when you're on top of a guy, there's 20 different ways to score, and you can score one-point holds or you can score two-point holds. There's a way that you can score a five-point hold, but it's extremely uncommon. you got to pick the guy up. you got to turn him around. you got to adjust. Everything's got to be just right, and then you've got to do what's called a high-amplitude throw. That is where you go feet over head over back. Very hard to do in wrestling, very uncommon, but it is a lot. That's what Matt chose to do. He was ahead by nine. He only needed one point. He chose to pick me up, turn me around, put me at great risk. That's why you get all the points, because it's a risky, high amplitude. That's what the rule book says. That's what he did. He needed 10 points to have that match stopped. He ended up with 14 points. So, but I learned a lesson. I do not hold that against Matt, not one little bit. I didn't at the time, and neither did my father. Matt was our coach. Matt was teaching a lesson, which is you've got no friends from nine to five. This is straight competition. And if you're not ready for it, you're getting beat no matter who it is. But if you ever draw a friend, if you ever end up in that kind of situation, you don't get any excuse to shut down or to be nice or for the match to be tighter than it should or for you to get upset because you weren't going hard and he went hard. No, this is straight up competition and there's no friends from nine to five. So that's where I have that mentality. That's just where that comes from. 
within me. That could be right or that could be wrong. I'm just sharing with you what the story is. I've got nothing against the teammates fighting. I don't personally, it doesn't feel right to me. I, I don't love it. It was headed in that direction with St. Pierre and Rory McDonald. I, I just didn't feel right. I didn't love it. There was a promoter at one time that wanted to do a show called Brotherly Love. And it was just going to be brothers against brothers. Matt Hughes taking on Mark Hughes. One, uh, Matt Sarah taking on his brother. The main event was going to be Ken Shamrock versus Frank Shamrock. It didn't feel right to me. I would be very curious. Ken and Frank had a very meaningful and very public back and forth. I don't want to see them fight. It just didn't feel right. And other people agreed with me. The show went absolutely nowhere. I suspect that you guys have never even heard of brotherly love until I just threw it at you right now. But it didn't feel right. And I'm still that way with teammates. I don't need to see two teammates fights. On the other side of it, I do need to see the champion take on the number one contender. That's true. I do. The integrity of the sport requires that the right two guys compete against each other, particularly when the championship is on the line. So wherever you sit on that, you won't get judgment from me. If you have the scrap packs mentality, I will respect it. But if you have my mentality, I think you'll respect that too. It's not personal. But it is what the rules of the sport call for. Protocol calls for competition amongst the top guys at the called upon time. You ponder it. You think that over. But I will be reading the comments. I'd like to know where you stand on it. Now, in a few minutes, I'll end the show with my thoughts on the latest John Jones news. But first, I want to shine the spotlight on tomorrow night's main event at the Apex. My official prediction, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font. Guys, I'm going with Font. This is a hard one for me. This is a very hard one for I try to never do this, right? I know you guys should. You try not to put emotion as any form of a decision-making process, no matter what the decision, you try to put emotion out of it. Every decision is emotional. Even the times when we try to rationalize and pretend that it's not. It is. I'm going against emotion on this. The way I am viewing Jose Aldo is flat out as an inspiration. I don't know that I, I have the ability or the rhetorical skills to hand another man a bigger compliment. But I find him inspiring. He makes me feel like I can do it. And I know that he does that with other people too. Not just because of the age, because of the change of weights, because he's a top guy, because he's coming off a huge win over Munoz, because he's going back into a main event. Once you slide down the card, you never go back. He beat that. He beat that. Historical presidents, he's back in a main event. Jose Aldo is this close to his goal. Which, by the way, I believe Jose's goal is to become the world champion. When he speaks about it, he says to fight for the world championship. I think he's misspeaking. I think he means to win it. But either way, he said to fight for it. He's this close, guys. It's inspiring. And Jose has incredible skills. The punching and the kick and the way he digs to the liver, steps outside, chops you in the leg. His takedown defense. If George St. Pierre was the best non-wrestler Offensively, meaning he could go take people down. Jose Aldo is the best non-wrestler defensively. You can't take the sunbitch off his feet. So now you're in a striking match with a guy that we know is great. I only have to bring to you. I'm not sure you guys know how good Rob Font is. I'm not sure you do. Rob Font has gotten better. When Rob Font personalized this, but when he came on my radar, he's getting ready to fight Ricky Simone. 
I swear to you to this day, and I will stand by it, Ricky won that fight. He lost the decision. Either way, it built momentum for Rob, and it moved Rob to like a number five ranking. It was a big win. And then he went to four. Now, he's at three right now, but he's getting wins. He's getting him in co-main event spots. He's getting him in main event spots. And Rob is you. He's like a snowball. And I really think it does go back to that Ricky fight. Had he lost that, maybe he'd be a little down in the dumps. He won that. He got a lot of attention, whether it was a little bit controversial or not, or very controversial. He won. And he used it as a springboard. And he is looking better, and he's looking better. And his hands are loosening up. He is throwing more punches now, a little bit straighter than they used to. A little bit more volume. They're landing with a little bit more force. They're doing a little bit more damage. If you can make little gains in this sport, oh my goodness. The difference between one and three. The difference between three and nine. I mean, we are splitting hairs, and Rob is showing that he's getting better. Now, the lights are going to be very bright. Rob's going to be doing media. He can say whatever he wants about I'm over it and Jose's behind us. That's one of his heroes, whether he wants to admit it or not. You cannot fight at 155 pounds on down, be the age that Rob Font is, and have not looked up to Jose Aldo. It is not possible. How do you deal with that? That mental component is very uh, relevant because Rob is going to have to deal with it. I predict for you successfully. But Rob will deserve credit for that. Because one thing that I am seeing with Rob, even if I want to tie it back to the decision that I don't agree with against Ricky Simone, it was a springboard. And so many guys will have something good happen to them and they'll rest. They'll have one good thing ever. People call it your 15 minutes of fame. The people that break down 15 minutes of fame in, in somebody's life don't look at the reasons why, which is something goes really well and you rest on it. I could tell you countless teammates, names that you would know. Big names that you guys respect who had something good happen and they, man, they weren't in the gym as much. They got a little bit of fame, a little bit of money in their pocket. They had distractions. And their outcomes in their careers drastically changes. I could tell you just as many, I could tell you fewer stories, but just as beautiful of names, just impressive of guys who had one good thing happen to them. And boy, that was the motivation they needed. And I feel as though that's what's happening with Rob Font. But if you guys see that on Saturday and Rob does get the best of Jose Aldo, he's going to get his hand raised and you're going to think, okay, Rob's a better fighter. Then there'll be the other story that wants to take away from Rob while patting Jose. So, well, you know, Jose was a little past his time. But the, the story won't get told quite correctly. I want to set this for you before we go in because if Rob Font can physically get the best of Jose, right, that's, that's incredible. Not to mention Rob's already ranked three. Not to mention he's a main event guy. I mean, it's, that is going to matter. But if he can get over the mental battle of having to go there and get the best of one of his former heroes, it's a big deal. Because if you can do that, now you start opening the, the whole Pandora's box to what can't Rob deal with? A lot of guys, even the greats, can't deal with much. Everything's got to be per A lot of the greats, some of the most beautiful names you guys have heard, never took a fight on short notice. Never took a fight out of their weight class. Never took a fight with a replacement opponent. Everything had to be right. So if Rob can go in and deal with one of his former heroes, and he can do it on ESPN, and he can do it for five rounds, and he can get the best of him, you do have to wonder what can't he deal with? What else could the sport present you? I used to play this game, guys. I get put in a new spot for each fight. I always wanted to be a mentally tough guy. That was important to me. Want to be a mentally tough guy? How do you do that? Like, how, what, what, what can I work on? What can I practice? And I would break down, okay, here's what I'm going into. I had to cut this much weight. I only had this much time, and they changed the opponent. Whatever it was, 
And I would realize, okay, this is one of the hardest spots I've ever been. If, if I can find a way, if I can go out and perform, performance, not outcome. If I can perform well, I can deal with anything. Then I get my next fight and there was a, there was a new bunch of problems. I go, okay, well, this is the one. This is the one. I had one sense of panic. I won't tell you the opponent was right before we walked through the curtain. Went down as one of my best performances ever. If I could pat myself on the back, I was at the curtain. I had left the locker room. I had my mouthpiece in. I had already done the hug that you guys see at the cage. I would do that in the back. And I would tell my whole team, this is it, not again. Next person that touches me, I'm going to destroy. I had already done all of that. I was at the curtain. And I'm, my opponent goes first. His music is playing. I hear the music die down. I know it's going to be. As soon as that music hits those speakers, that curtain pulls back. You're making that walk. I wanted to be anywhere else but there. And other times when I was in a tough spot mentally, I could address it. I would be in the hotel. I would be alone. I'd be getting my weight off. I'd be visualizing. It was always some kind of a situation where you could put time between it. Because that's one of the things that happens in a fight. It's time. Sure, I can get to where I want to be, and sure, I can do what I want to do. The dimension in fighting that nobody discusses and most people don't even see is there is you're battling time. We pretend that it's a question of who's better than who at a specific weight class under a specific rules. That's what we present it to the world as. But moreover is at a specific time. That's the dimension. It's not just width and distance and space and volume, you have another dimension known as time. So you gotta be able to turn that on. And I only submit for you that Rob Font, <coughs> excuse me, leading into this fight is dealing with some stuff that he's never going to admit to you guys. And he doesn't need to. Gotta learn to fight your heroes. You gotta learn to deal with these guys. So Kenny Florin once said, sometimes the student has to kill the master. Like there, there's a piece to this that you must overcome. It is a rite of passage. I'm just setting for you before this fight goes. It's the one that Rob's dealing with now, and it's a very tall order. And I don't know that Jose Aldo, and I'm going back to his fight with Pedro Munoz, I don't know that Aldo ever looked better than his fight with Munoz. As a matter of fact, Kenny Florian, who's a former opponent and foe of Jose Aldo, said after that fight, that was the best Jose we've ever seen. Nobody says that that lost to a guy because it, it makes them look bad. Kenny still said it. That's the best Jose Aldo we've ever seen. And I saw the same thing. So Rob Font's got his handful. Rob Vaughn is going to be tested. This is not as bright a lights for Jose Aldo. Not by a lot. Even the champion of the world, at one point in his career, he had the all-time gate record as the night that he fought Conor McGregor. Had more people watching than he's ever had to deal with. That's when the lights are bright. That's when the pressure is on. That's not the situation for Jose. Jose is more likely to come out with his full skills and perform to his best of ability. He's more likely to do that than Rob. I'm taking an outsider here. Aldo versus Font. I'm putting the curse on Rob Fox. Well, the 60 days is up, but it was a good run. I mean, that was a good, solid attempt, right? He got 60 days. But apparently he also got into the wine or something along these lines last night because John Jones goes on an absolute Twitter tirade. Now, quite frankly, John had the right to do this. I would stay out. Talking about John versus Coach Winklejohn, I'm out. When I see Winklejohn, and I know many things, I don't say any of them. I say hello, that's it. 
I believe an athlete and a coach are on a different level. And I believe the coach, whether he's yours or not, the coach is above the athlete. So I've had things said about me by Coach Winkle John, but I didn't cross that code. He apparently didn't have the same code as I did, but I didn't cross it. John got treated terribly. Absolutely he did. And John spoke about this for the first time ever. I thought John had the right. And John did not delete it. It wasn't a typical typical drunken tirade. There was tells. It was largely done by Siri. He didn't grab the phone and type. He misspelled his own name. by Right, John is spelled J-O-N in the case of John Jones. He spelled it J-O-H-N. So there was some mistakes where you got to see a little bit that, uh, oh, okay, the 60 days is behind us. But boy, it was interesting. I've been waiting for this fight to come. And John really had, if you guys read the tirade, I'm just making the, the exception that you all know what I'm referring to. But he was speaking about Winkle John, and he said this wasn't right. And he said, he calls me his brother, but then he goes on a national campaign tour to embarrass me. I caught the, I caught the same thing. The one piece when Malky, the management team, broke up with John, and the one thing when the gym, Coach Winkle John, broke up with John. They both wanted it known to the world that they did it. I'd never really seen that in professional activities before. I've never, I can't think of another example. And I always wondered why. Malky's a very smart guy. I'm hard on Malky. Another side, he's a very smart guy. He had a reason for doing that, whether I understand it or not. It's probably right in front of me. Maybe you guys have, I'm not seeing it, but I do trust that it's simple and it's right in front of us. Wink did the same thing. Why? The appearance by Wink was that he was looking out for John that this was temporary, he's got a business to run, and he needs this known. The problem that I had with it is no, you don't. This is private. You would discuss it. You would announce it to the gym. The gym, that that were to be through the gym in way less than five minutes. Way you, pe- Teammates and people, parents and kids that weren't even at the gym would know within five minutes. John is temporary, not here. And that's how it was presented. Winkle John went on, I believe it was with Ariel, and he said, this is temporary. So my brother and I gotta, I gotta get a hold of him, I gotta shake it up. I'm just sharing with you from my perspective, without passing judgment from where I was sitting. That was the one part of the story that surprised me. People do this all the time. I coach at the high school here. We have a kid right now who's on it. Right now, you can't come in for four days. Right now, we talked to that kid. In private, he goes home, he takes whatever disciplinary action, he will be back, won't be discussed. And his teammates aren't going to give him a hard time because it's going to happen to them at some point in their career. Right? Do you understand the point that I'm trying to make? When Coach Winklejohn decided to go public or even national with this news that affects the PR of a gym that's a dot on the map in a city of the world, I mean, do you understand? It was weird. It was very bizarre. All of those things could have happened if you were sincere in your beliefs, and it would have been quiet. And my sense from John, with the entire tirade, is that John agrees with me. That's the part that hurt his feelings. Why'd you have to embarrass me? Why couldn't this just be us? We've been up and down the roads together. We've exchanged money. We've exchanged dreams. We've exchanged camaraderie. We've exchanged fame and the other side of it too, which is the tears and the blood and the disappointment. But we did that together. Why couldn't this be private? Why did you have to go out as a way 
of virtue signaling to yourself. We're both dirty, rotten fighters. You got something on me, I got things on you. The difference is I'm being accused. And that is a relevant piece to John. I'm the last one to spare the lash. John is accused of something. He is not charged with another something that people are saying about him with very limited evidence, with hearsay at best. And then he gets a punishment from his own guys, and that punishment gets made public. Why? Now, Wink might agree with me. Coach Wink might fully agree and go, Chael, if I could do that again, you're right. There was no reason to advertise or air that. And even if I did need to advertise and air it for a small, to protect my own business, I did not need to do it nationally. He might. He might agree. I haven't heard him say those things, but he might. I'm still wondering why. And when John finally broke bad and was pissed off, I still do maintain from reading that tirade that that was the part that bothered him. And I don't think he's wrong. I don't know why that had to be shared with all of us. We weren't owed that. We didn't need that information. If there was pushback at the gym, you would feel it directly. All of a sudden, members are leaving or parents are calling you or something along these lines. You deal with that. You handle them. You let them all know it's cool in the gang. Keep on coming in. Sign back up. Be here Monday. He won't. Why'd you have to tell Ariel Hawani? Why do I know about it? Why would a guy like me, who never spares the lash on John Jones, why would I get my clip filled with ammo from his own coach? It's not a terrible point by John. It's not. It's fair and reasonable. And I imagine Wink is upset today. John wasn't all that nice about it. But you don't have to be as nice. You don't have to match fire with fire when the other one pulled the trigger first. You can come back harder if you're the one that's on the counter. Anyway, there's the story. There's my interpretation. 60 days is up. The 60 days is gone, but, you know, maybe he just resets the clock and maybe at some other point we'll see another 60. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, just head on over to Apple Podcasts, search your welcome, and leave a review for the show like our friend Rob who says, best podcast in the industry. Well, thank you, Rob. And thanks to all of you for listening. Enjoy the fights on Saturday and come back here next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.